Church, God is with us. He does not forsake us. He claims us as His own by the blood of Jesus and invites us to know Him and to walk with Him and to hear from Him. So let's do so this morning as we open His Word. Let me invite you to open uh, the Bible to the book of Job as we continue a message series from uh, that book. We'll be in Job chapter 38 and following this morning. And certainly always encourage you to open the Scriptures or to turn on Uh, the scriptures and follow along and especially do today as we hear from the Lord. Job chapter 38. uh, This text, if you're using a few Bibles, begins on page 427. Uh, But church, we've been studying the book of Job together for a couple weeks now, uh, trying to uh, hear from God and receive from God some clear direction for what we are to do when life goes sideways, when life seems to fall apart when suffering or hardship or tragedy overtake us. And as this particular story goes, uh, Job suffered deeply. He lost just about everything, his wealth, his possessions, his children, his health, even his friends in a short period of time. Uh, But as we saw last week, not because of anything he did. Job didn't suffer because... He had displeased God or because he didn't have enough faith in God or anything like that. Now, as the story goes, uh, the Lord allowed the devil to inflict horrific pain on Job in order to display Job's exemplary faith and devotion to his God. In other words, in order to further mature Job's faith and to prove to Satan that adversary that Job's devotion to God was not dependent on God giving him a lot of stuff. You see, we don't worship God because he gives us stuff. We worship God and serve him for who he is. In the midst of hardship and pain, Job cries out to God, wanting his day in court. It's the language that he uses throughout his argument, his cries to God. He wants his day in court, so to speak, to plead his case to plead his innocence, to plead his righteousness before God. He cries, he laments, he's angry. In the midst of prolonged pain and severe suffering, Job's friends, according to Job, become miserable comforters. They don't comfort him well. They don't speak the truth. They blame Job, saying, Job, you're responsible This is obviously something that you have brought on yourself. This must be God's judgment. He wouldn't allow this if you hadn't done something terrible. So fess up and confess your sin and God will restore you. And Job responds time and again, I don't know what I did wrong. And this goes on and on. That's what we looked at last week. from Chapter 3 to chapter 37. This debate happens almost ad nauseum. And then finally, in Job chapter 38, God speaks. And unlike the other voices in this story, there's no error in his words. And so this morning, as we open the Bible, we're going to let God speak. He's been quiet for quite some time in this story, so he's got a lot to say. And and I want to read all of what God says. I want to read all of his response because it's good. And I'll be honest, one of the challenges of Preaching week to week is knowing how much Bible to read each week versus how much explaining and and proclaiming to do. Both are necessary and vital components of preaching. But as one preaching prophet said, 
God promises to bless His words, not yours. So let's hear from Him. Let's invite Him to speak today. These chapters are filled with beautiful, poetic imagery, much like the Psalms. But two points of clarity that will help us as we dive into these chapters. Uh, God mentions the behemoth and Leviathan. Uh, words that are used a few times each in the Old Testament to refer to uh, some great creature that God has made or some great creature representing great strength and power. And in this context, in the book of Job, uh, when you hear the word behemoth, think hippopotamus. All right, you got that? Behemoth, hippo. What's a behemoth? In this text. Leviathan, think crocodile. Leviathan, crocodile. All right, don't forget that. And most scholars think that's, that's the ref, those are the references in the book of Job. Might not be the same. In fact, probably isn't the same in some of the other places that the Bible mentions these, these words. But I want you to know that last night I had the privilege of watching a, a recorded show on National Geographic Wild that was hippo versus croc. And it was good. And, and the way it's described right here is the way it is. These are incredibly powerful creatures, incomparable in creation. So uh, now let's listen to the, to the Lord. God speaks up and he answers Job. Job's been crying out to God for help. He's been debating with his friends. Finally, God speaks. I know our normal practice here is to stand for the reading of God's word, but uh, for fear of someone buckling their knees and uh, falling this time because of a lengthy text, I'm going to have you remain seated. But let's hear from the Lord. Listen and follow along. Hear God speak. Job chapter 38. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. God said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set It's doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this, what is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. 
Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of the earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wonder about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it in to hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. Though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them. That some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain. For God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely, rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts. Aha! Catches the scent of battle from afar. The shout of commanders and the battle cry. 
Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is its stronghold. From there it looks for food. Its eyes detect it from afar. Its young ones feast on blood. And where the slain are, there it is. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Look at behemoth, which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins. What power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God. Yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring it their produce and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plant it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow. The poplars by the stream surround it. A raging river does not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? They divide it up among the merchants. Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed about with fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out Flashes of light. 
Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and and flames dart from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as rock, hard as a lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Sling stones are like chaff to it. A club seems to it, but a piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of the lance. Its undersides are jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal. A creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. And Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We give thanks to the Lord for the reading of his word. I know some of you are thinking with the reading that long, I sure hope you took that into account when you prepared this sermon. I did, I think, I promise. You see, God says it both beautifully and rather clearly here. So I'm not going to offer a lot of explanation, but I do want to summarize some of the truths that are portrayed here and put them in the greater context of the Bible and then offer some brief points of application. But church, one thing that is abundantly clear from the Word of God here is that God is sovereign and we are not. God is sovereign. He is sovereign and we are not. He's he's sovereign, meaning He has ultimate power. He rules and He reigns over everything. He governs all creation. Friends, in the beginning, God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, verse verse of the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Friends, He designed it all. He made it all. He sustains it all. He's aware of it all. He reigns over it all. He is supreme. The Lord governs the whole universe. The whole thing is in His hands. The Lord governs the the whole universe. This is the message of chapter 38. God marked off the dimensions of the earth. He laid its, its footings, so to speak. He told the sea where to stop. He designed the spinning of the earth on its axis so that it would appear to us as if the sun rises and falls on the horizon each and every day. 
I love verse 14 of chapter 38. This description of the sun casting its first light on the earth in the morning. Listen to what God says. He says, the earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. You see, God describes the arrival of dawn in language that depicts the dyeing or the coloring of a garment. Bringing color to a garment. This, this feature stands out. Reminds me, I don't know what it reminds you of, but reminds me of an early morning deer hunt. You get up early. If you're fortunate, you get there on time. You get there before any light. You get settled into your stand. You turn your light off just waiting on the day to wake up. Waiting on that first light. See, without light in the woods, you can't see. You can hear, but you can't see. You wait, and then, and then gradually you start to see some things, but you can't quite make them out. You can't quite see what it is that you're seeing. The light keeps coming, and you can finally see the details of the forest. You can see the leaves on the ground. You can see the contours of the earth. You can see the shape of the trees. You can see the squirrels jumping from tree to tree. You see the birds start... Uh, you can see the birds that you've been listening to sing begin to see. It takes shape. Light. Its features begin to stand out. God, God rules over it all. He governs all of that. You see, the Lord rules over the lightning and the hail and the rain and the constellations in the sky. He governs the whole universe and the Lord governs every creature. Every single creature. He rules over them all. Everything that He has made. That's where he turns at the end of chapter 38 all the way through chapter 39. He knows every creature. He knows just what they need and how to get it. The lions, the goats, the deer, the donkeys, the oxen, the ostrich, stork, the horse, the hawk, the eagle. God is sovereign over it all. He is sovereign and we are not. And we see here that God knows everything, but we know little. God knows everything. We know little. If Job says much of anything, it is that we don't have all the facts. We don't know everything. We only know what he has told us and what he has shown us. And he has created men and women, human beings, in a special place in his creation. He has created us with a capacity to know and to reason. But even so, we only know what we've been taught. We only know what we've been exposed to. Case in point, and just a few weeks ago, I sat in an initial, uh, what is called apparently an OAC meeting, owner, architect, contractor, about our building expansion and plans here at the church. We, in that particular meeting, we went over uh, payments and processes and timeline and cost breakdown and procedures, building all this sort of stuff. And of course, our, our building uh, committee was represented there. Our building chairman, Jerry Stewart, was there. Our trustees chairman, Jason Shamblin, was there. Our treasurer, Ken Howe, was there. Some other church members were there, but also there were some other folks there. Alan English was there representing Johnson Crease uh, Construction. Um, uh, a gentleman, uh, I believe, named Greg was there who is serving as the uh, site project manager for the duration of the project. And Billy Barton was there, one of our own uh, church members who is doing all of the preliminary uh, site and dirt work. And here I was sitting in a room just down the hall that I've sat in many, many times with many, many groups of people over the last few years. And in this particular meeting, I remember feeling like a fish out of water. 
there was a lingo and a language that was being used that I just was not all that accustomed to, that I was not all that familiar with. And I remember coming out of that room and thinking, I'm so glad they know what they're doing. I'm so glad that there are people involved who know how to accomplish every step of this. You see, church, we we all may be an expert in something. None of us are experts in everything. None of us are experts in the universe. There is only one of those. His name is Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. He knows everything. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me, David prayed. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, he says, and my lying down. You are familiar, God, with all my ways. Our God is infinitely wise and eternally sovereign, so let's find comfort in his wisdom and sovereignty. Let's find comfort in knowing that God is It's wise and sovereign. You may say, wait a minute, come on now. I'm battling cancer and I don't know how long I'm going to make it. I'm unemployed. I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage this month, much less the next several months. Recently lost a child. Haven't slept for days. And you say, find comfort in God. And friend, I, I know that sounds simple. But it isn't. It's not. It's not simple. It requires faith seeking understanding. Faith first. Must have the the right posture. We must have the right posture. A posture that says, God, you are sovereign. You are God. You know everything. I don't understand this. But God, you do. Help me find rest in you. God is sovereign. We are not. God knows everything, but we know little. And third, we learn from God's response to Job that God is always just, but He does not explain everything to us. God is always just, but He doesn't explain everything to us. He's just, meaning He holds the guilty accountable and He doesn't wrongfully punish the innocent. Scriptures declare again and again that God cares about justice, that he is a just God. But notice that he doesn't give Job the explanation here that he wants. He doesn't say, Job, sort of like this. I've been trying to teach Satan a lesson or two. And so I said to him, and he said to me, and this is what happened. None of that happens. Job doesn't get that. It's like our kids often don't get the explanation they want. When they cry, that's not fair. Anybody else's kids do that? Because parents, when we attempt a rational and full explanation, it doesn't always help, does it? We have to say, trust us, and someday this will make sense to you. Someday you'll understand this. And likewise, church, we're expected to trust God through tragedy. Trust Him through tragedy. This means admitting we, we don't understand tragedy. It doesn't make sense to us. But we trust God's ability and we believe His promise that one day all suffering will diminish. One day every tear will be wiped away. We trust God always because His character is trustworthy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on what? 
Scripture. Lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Our understanding is limited, so we trust Him. We submit to Him as Job submitted to Him. See, that's how Job responds in chapter 42. 42 verse 3 says, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. He says, God, you know it all. I, I, obviously, I don't. Job gets the peace that he's been looking for, but it only comes through knowing God. Friends, submission to God is the path to peace. Submission to God is the path to peace. Recognizing who He is, bowing before Him, and walking by faith in relationship with Him. He is the peace in the storm. It comes from Him. And the peace of God, the peace of God, it's from God. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. And the peace of God will transcend, transcend, surpasses, exceeds, is beyond all understanding. That peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, church, what, what do we do? Submission to God is the path to peace. What, what do we do? Repent. Church, where we have failed to trust God, let's, let's repent. Listen to Job's response. In Job chapter 42, verse 5, he says, My, my ears had heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Much like Isaiah and others in the scriptures who encounter the glory and the presence of God and realize the greatness of who God is. The natural response is recognize our, our own failures and frailty. Repentance expresses a desire for correction. A longing for a renewed relationship with God. That's what Job wanted. To know he was right with God. To know that God still loved him. Friend, are you right with God? Are you right with God today? Do you know that God loves you with an unfailing love? Experience his love. Experience God's love. In the beginning, God. That's awe-evoking enough. That's not the full story. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. Through Him all things were made. And without Him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 14. The Word became flesh. The One who made everything. The One who designed everything in creation. Became flesh. He took on human flesh. Made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the One and only Son who came from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Of course, believers, we know this is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one and only Son, went on to say, recorded in John chapter 10, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. In other words, Jesus gave his life willingly. We know that story. On the cross of Calvary, his blood was shed. Expression of God's incredible love for broken, rebellious, fallen sinners like you and me. Gave his life, expression, fullness of God's grace. The sacrifice of atonement so that we could be forgiven our sins and eternally right with God, living with him and enjoying his provision and presence forever and ever. And friends, because Jesus did what he said, because Jesus did this, the Apostle Paul could consider suffering and even death with confidence in God's never-failing love for us. Saying in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us from this? Who can take this away from us? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, that time frame, and certainly among some believers around the world today, we're saying because of our identification with God, we are experiencing hardship and persecution and suffering here in this life. Paul responds in verse 37. He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nothing, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends and followers of Jesus who knew and know that love said, Amen. Father, we thank you for being so gracious to us. But we thank you for forgiving us of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your grace that can be received by us through faith. Father, may you increase our faith in you. Lord, may you remind us today of your great love for us. Father, I pray that you would continue reminding us by your Spirit's work in our lives as we respond to the truths of your word, as we depart from this place shortly. Father, we pray that you would continue working in us and reminding us of your sovereignty of your power, of your knowledge, and Lord, also of your goodness and your grace and your nearness and your provision and your presence. Lord, remind us who we are in you and help us to bow before you and walk with you now and forever that we might experience the peace of God, peace of you, Lord, that is beyond human understanding. Father, guide us now. Be glorified in us. You are worthy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.